This week on the Career Musician Podcast, we talk to Dr. Brandon Waddles, whose choral compositions and arrangements have been performed by choral ensembles all over the world. Most recently, Dr. Waddles has served as music director for Grammy-winning recording artist Lettucey, including her highly accredited Nina and Me concert series. And as a side note, I've had the distinct pleasure of working with Dr. Brandon Waddles and Lettucey for her PBS special, A Tribute to Nina Simone, recorded live at Myron's Jazz Cabaret at the Smith Center in Las Vegas. If you get a chance, definitely check out Lettucey's PBS special with Brandon Waddles at the helm. Brandon has also worked with a diverse array of musicians, including Dalton Brown, Martin Katz, Angela Brown, George Shirley, Donnie Ray Albert, Vincent Cole, Fred Hammond, Kathy Taylor, Anita Wilson, and Crystal Rucker. Here is Dr. Brandon Waddles on the Career Musician Podcast. Hey, hey, today we have Dr. Brandon Christian Waddles on the Career Musician Podcast. <laughs> a pleasure. Thank you all for having me. It's great to be here with you, man. Absolutely. The feeling is more than mutual. And look, anytime I get to have a doctor of music on the show, I'm elated. Like, I'm, I'm just all giggly and stuff because <laughs> as a young man, I always imagined being a doctor of music. And then for some reason, my path just went a different way and I, and I never got back to it. So I kind of want to start there because, you know, we just had uh, Dr. Molly Miller on the show. She's a, uh, she's a UCLA uh, alum and uh, she's also Jason Raz's guitar player. And she has her own band, the Molly Miller trio. And, you know, I just, again, I'm enamored with what you guys have done scholastically, academically. Uh, and the fact that you can bring all of that, knowledge and wisdom and information and apply it to your actual career so let's start with you here you're from detroit how did you get started and how did you say man i'm gonna be a doctor of music oh my goodness um i must say yeah no 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 no. it's fun and i must say that that has probably been the crux of what I've been lecturing and teaching and communing about with aspiring musicians, aspiring educators is about what I call the great zigzag path um, of artistry and creativity. I started out in Detroit, Michigan, where I am living now and um, grew up in a very musically and artistically um, inspired family. My father is a trained pianist, classically trained pianist, but um, traveled around with him as he did music theater, jazz, grew up in the black church with him at several of the major historic black churches in Detroit, like Hartford Memorial and St. James and New Bethel, New Bethel, where Aretha Franklin, her father, C.L. Franklin, where they came up. Wow. Um, and so growing up with that uh, gave me the influence and impetus that um, anything and everything is possible in music. And uh, I went with that mindset through high school in the Detroit public school system, um, in college at Morehouse. Um, I uh, achieved my master's at Westminster Choir College and then my doctorate at Florida State. The conversation about having a doctorate in music, however, was so zigzag because I can say for myself that I always kind of had this other idea of where I was headed career-wise. 
And then, you know, by whatever form of kismet or what you might call it, um, something else happens. Something else either gets in the way or something falls short of something. And then I'm led into another path. But I can always say that it, it has been so much better for me than what I had originally planned for myself. And the reason that I consider myself as accessible an educator today is because of the zigzags that I've had. Um, because of a zigzag in musical theater, you know, working and uh, working either as an MD or even just being in the pit as a musician, um, working in the classical choral sect or working as an accompanist for um, classical solo artists or musical theater artists. Um, even even from the fact that the way that I started, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, working as a music director for Letitia was towards the tail end of my time at Florida State where I was looking for university jobs and couldn't pick up one. Ooh. And I happened to be back in Detroit um, and Roland Jack was uh, Lettuce's artist manager who is my good and dear friend and we worked together for years doing uh, NACP AXO. Um, said, hey man, you know, we're looking for somebody that is able to do such and such and such and such and such and such. They need to be able to play and, and read, but they also need to be well-versed in um, R&B, in jazz, in classical formats. Um, and so this was the zigzag that allowed me to be able to progress through with um, these different experiences with Lettucey, who is um, such an amazingly gifted and diverse artist who has such a love and a passion for so many different things. And that was the way that we initially connected um, I can say that as an educator, um, somebody who grew up aspiring to be an educator, I used to get a lot of pushback about everything that I did because, you know, way back when it was like, you got to stick to this one thing, it's you know, Leontine, Leontine Price and Marian Anderson, they just knew that they were going to be opera singers. And so you have to stay there or, um, you know, or any, any case, you know, but, but I, I think towards a guy like uh, Quincy Jones. Or somebody like Miles Davis, you know, people who didn't even like the category jazz, you know, and they, they didn't want to be held in. Um, uh, Quincy Jones says that Duke Ellington um, instructed him or tasked him with decolonizing American music because it is all things. And we as artists now in this pandemic structure um, have to look to be all things more and more. So. In a nutshell, that's kind of my my brief beginning. <laughs> so much there that I would need to unpack, and you know, thank God. I keep turning around to to Eric G. I'm like, yo, did you get that? Did you get that? I'm, I'm trying to keep up over here, man. <laughs> um, my father. <laughs> I was in high school, and that's when I started with jazz. Yeah, I started in the jazz band in high school um, because I was mainly classically trained up in, until that point. And we were sitting in church and he was at the Hammond. There was a keyboard that was empty right next to him. And, uh, he looked behind himself and he looked at me and he said, and that meant come and sit up on that keyboard. I didn't know what anybody had practiced that day. I didn't know what they'd rehearsed. I didn't know. And I'll tell you, I got so many ugly looks from him that day. Now, mind you, he's the one that called me up there and he's going to give me all these ugly looks because I don't know the song. But I'll tell you this day, I, I made a complete fool of myself and I told, told myself I would never make that complete fool again. And so that's the way that I learned. Um, I kind of go through the same thing in, in jazz band. Um, you know, I'd grown up listening to it, 
But as a classical pianist coming into a jazz orientation, um, there's a different, you know, uh, jazz pianists, we have to do what's called comping. Right. Um, so, you know, sparse chords and, and just kind of get out of the way because don't, don't, don't be boogie-woogie and you got a bass player, he will, he'll cut you after rehearsal. Um, he or she'll cut you after rehearsal. Um, so, and also, you know, learning how to co collaborate with the guitars, you know, and the guitarist is mainly doing chording. So I, um, I remember in high school, my grandfather who recently passed, he would take me every Sunday to either Borders or Barnes and Noble. And we would, and I would pick up every Miles Davis album that I could, um, nice. every Sunday, at least two, at least two. And I was listening to Herbie. Mm -hmm. Um, I was listening to Red. I was listening to one of one of my favorites, uh, Bill Evans. Oh, my God. His sense of modality and coloring was something that is to this day still influences almost everything that I do um, piano wise. And there was something from uh, from when we did the Legacy set and I heard some. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Bill right there. I always went. Bah, bah, da, da, yeah. So but and that that's all kind of blue. I mean, he, he kind of helped create that. But, but, you know, this, this concept of continuing to listen to a little bit of everybody is what makes you so much more accessible. I cannot tell you how many educators, colleagues of mine, educators that are so completely unaware of anything except what is in their box. Just, uh, and I say, and I, and I, and what a disservice that is to our students because they only believe that such and such is possible. They only believe that such and such is possible. I have such a, have had such a huge issue with a lot of uh, vocal um, programs because they expected everybody to be at the Metropolitan Opera. When you know very well that only 5% of the great singing population, if that is going to be, so, so why are we not teaching about a successful career in background vocals? Why are we not teaching about a successful career as a neo-soul artist or independent or any other in kind of indie alternative, you know? So that's one of the main points that I brought it at Wayne State, is, which is where I teach now. I'm director of choral activities and also one of the professors of music education is I institute a program called Wayne Redefined. And for every few weeks, I would bring in various artists from Detroit that were either um, major writers, songwriters in the R&B realm. I brought in musical theater experts, people that had sung in Color Purple and Motown and Hamilton. Um, I brought in Kiera Sheard. She came and talked to us about the gospel industry. These are things that they would not regularly get inside the classroom. And the pandemic has made it possible for us to concern ourselves more so on process rather than product. Uh, process rather than product. Write that down. Mm -hmm. That's a quote. Uh, let's go back to your your brand new teaching gig, although it's not brand new, but it's relatively new. Uh, you yeah. mentioned it, Wayne State, and tell us about that. And uh, for, man, you have such a vast background with the classical aspect and all of the gospel and everything else in between. So, oh, yeah. I um. You know, my father, classically trained pianist, he attended um, Interlochen. Um, after that, he went to University of Michigan. Uh, you know, he was a pianist, but he was um, also a very cellist and also a very well-trained singer. He sang French melody beautifully. He taught me German Deutsch. He sang all the, mel uh, the leader, as you might call it. Um, but anywho, uh, I, I came up with that, that kind of background, that, that kind of background. But like I said, it also extended. I would travel with him if he was doing... Um, he was serving as an MD for The Wiz, um, Little Shop of Horrors, um, any of that. 
um, stuff and also gospel. The way that I ended up at Wayne State, and Wayne State has been a part of my life since I was young because it's always been here. Um, the way that I ended up at Wayne State was that I, at the top of the year, after we had finished the uh, PBS taping, um, we started a tour. Um, Let Us See was on a co- collab tour with um, uh, Gregory Porter, great jazz, uh, jazz vocalist, wonderful musician. And we had finished the first half of that tour. And shortly after that was when everything shut down. Everything shut down. It was and it may... Yeah. Yeah. Not long after that. And I got a call from the chair of the music department, Dr. Nora Duncan, who has certainly been a part of my life since I was in high school. And he said, you know, Brandon, he said, this is what we need. And we need somebody who's had this outdoor experience, if you will call it this stage experience, but also comes with, you know, some of the foundational tenets of academia and all of that to be able to balance out and really how, how we term it, bring Wayne back to the city of Detroit and bring it back to the community. Um, and one of the big factors for a lot of, um, uh, how should we call it, predominantly white universities um, or institutions and things of that nature is making sure that there's a community aspect to what they bring as universities and educational institutions. Um, and so much of that is giving to the students things that we didn't get in the classroom. So many of my colleagues that are out here and performing everywhere who, you know, maybe did a couple of weeks at Berkeley or something and did a semester and they were like, nah, this ain't it. And, and went off somewhere else. Not Berkeley's a great institution, but I, and, and, but I, I should veer towards more classicized institutions that aren't giving, how shall I say, those students that just have a love for so many different things and then get limited and boxed in. They're not giving them that picture. Yeah. The full picture. But let me tell you, a lot of the edu- too many of these educators don't have full picture because they haven't experienced it. That's right. Wouldn't know, wouldn't know what to do on, on a large stage. Like, <laughs> you know, wouldn't know. Okay, so so here, look, it's it's been too long. I'm sorry, we're twenty some odd minutes in, and we haven't talked about it. The the, the program we did with Letacy. First of all, mm-hmm. for the listeners out there who aren't familiar with Letacy's music, look her up. L E D I S I. She is an amazing singer and musician overall, and a beautiful person. Um, she just crushed this PBS performance that we did. Uh, titled Nina and Me, and it's her tribute to ne- the great legendary jazz gospel singer Nina Simone. Brandon, Dr. Waddles, was the music director for that because he's been Lettuce's music director, and that's how you and I met. So, okay, that kind of what I call real-life experience coupled with your uh, uh, you know, education experience is not only vital, man, but it's fierce. It's like, it's a force to be reckoned with for all the reasons that you're naming right here. So I just had to- So, yeah, man, I, I tell you an experience such as that is so important. Um, and, and you with your incredible experiences as a musician and MD, you know, taught me so much about, um, you know, dealing with a large array of different musicians who come from so many different backgrounds. Um, somebody that, that works um, um, as an educator, but is classically trained, how you make that, um, some of those more classicized terms accessible to those who haven't grown up in the classroom experience versus me having a conversation with you about quarter language. Yeah. 
right. you know, where I can get fully in depth into all of that and you're pinning down. Everybody has different ways. And I've got to be able to be, as a music director, you have to be the communicator, the mediator, the therapist. <laughs> in all aspects, yes. And all aspects. So you, you, but you have to be that mediator, that musical, artistic, and creative mediator between, you know, artists and, and, and musicians and instrumentalists, as I'll call them, because we're all musicians. Um, but to work with somebody like Let Us See, um, who, mind you, is an instrumentalist in her own right. I mean, she's a drummer. I tell anybody, I said, and she is keenly aware of everything that is happening on the stage behind her. And that makes her a different level of singer than many we have today right. um, who, who are on the popular realm because they couldn't tell you what they want to hear from the piano. They couldn't tell you what they want to hear from the drums or anybody else or their, or their singers. Um, and so that creates um, both a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful challenge. Right. Because you, you, you have to stay up on it. And, you know, you were there. We were there in those rehearsals from, from uh, Brian's house up until the stage. Yeah. And, and, um, and just making that leap. Now, mind you, I was the baby of the group, you know, yeah. but nomad to, to Brian Collier, who is a four-time, you know, certified Grammy winner, to um, uh, David Parks and Ronnie Gutierrez, you know, I've got Keisha Renee who sings for Nicki Minaj and, and uh, Shannon Pearson, who just finished up doing a set with Shaka Khan. Right. I didn't have all of that, you know, um, <laughs> but, but I'm, but I'm grateful that what I did have was, was the accessibility to speak to all people from all formats and from all venues. So true. Um, yeah. And bro, you did an amazing job. I mean, thank you. I told you several times throughout the process. I was like, man, I, I really love what you're doing. Great work. I was, you know, you created, like you said, you have to be that liaison between the artists mm -hmm. and the management and the band. So you created a very comfortable space for everybody to work in, you know, uh, uh, br breaking down any barriers of, of the, the uh, inability to communicate. So you're a very effective mm -hmm. communicator, both musically and on a personal mm -hmm. level. Super and 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 that's a, that could be another half hour conversation that's about right. what goes on outside of the music. That's you right. know the the importance of communication and networking and and personality and what it is that you do post and don't post. I you know that's I can't tell you how many people have lost jobs and they don't even know they've lost jobs. Wow, uh, I mean, let's touch on that. I, I think you're referring to the fact. Mm -hmm. You're posting too too much information on the social media platform, and and the artist is just not comfortable with it. I um oh absolutely happens all the time. People that are working with high higher level professional artists, and they are um you know because artists are get are and will should be very sensitive about the circles in which they keep themselves. It's a trust and the, and they're and the trust circle and your musicians are part should be part of your trust circle. If you're going to have successful careers, you have to surround yourself artistically, creatively, professionally, business-wise, management-wise with people that you can trust. That's right. And, and, and you know what? It's, it's so important. But I'll tell you this. The people that haven't even gotten to that level who will never get there because somebody's, you know, uh, a professional artist can hear, oh, my God, you should hear this person. And they hear them and they sound amazing. And then they go look at their social media profile. And everything's trash. Right, right. Everything's trash. I had a conversation with my class 
um, we were referring to a particular singer um, that got brought up in, in one of our lecture discussions about um, musical theater pedagogy, you know, so how, how we go about that, the, te- the, the science of teaching about musical theater singing. And this is a very high level singer. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, she has a very successful career, but she does horrible things with her instrument. I could go on and, and make a comment, a joke-wise comment about her voice. But I said to myself, you know, you might be less than two degrees of separation away from this person. That's right. And whether you know it or not, it doesn't take anything but a second for that thing to be screenshotted and sent off to. And done. And that's the end for you. And, and done. Fast. Faster nowadays because of social yeah. Right. Absolutely. I've seen, we, you and I have both seen careers ruined before they got started because of one foul, one ill-minded move. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or exactly. move. All right. So mm-hmm. that, wow. These are some life lessons. Beautiful, beautiful life lessons that I hope, you know, the listeners, especially those who are aspiring to get to these levels are, are taking heed to. Uh, let's talk about an aha moment that you might have had when you realized, okay, I'm going to, not only am I going to do this, but I'm going to do it to the fullest degree possible. Uh, I love the fact that your father mentored you in such a way, teaching you all these different tools of music. I mean, that's incredible. What was that aha moment that you said, okay, sign seal delivered. I'm doing this. Man. Um, I think, I think we might have a, we go through life and as, as musicians, we kind of have a, cu- a couple of those. Um, and mine are more transitional. Um, so, you know, I started out as a pianist and then I got into choir for the first time. And that was my aha. Gotcha. I sat in that experience in, in high school and my high school choir director, Nina Scott, who was still like a second mother to me to this day. And I remember walking into that classroom and sitting down in that first rehearsal and hearing that wash of sound around me. And I said, aha, I want to sing. Um, I remember, uh, oh my gosh, so many of them. That aha moment of first, uh-huh. Yeah, so I love how you mentioned zigzag before. And you said it is a transitional period of all these different ahas. Okay, so let's, let's talk about it. I started out as a pianist and I just knew I, you know, I was going to be, you know, like, uh, oh my gosh, any, any of the greats, um, who I used to listen to Martha Agarich or, um, uh, you know, all, all of the great classics. And I thought that I was going to be, you know, playing piano concerti and, and all of that. And I went to interlocking and I loved the experience, but I knew that I was not about to practice to that level to be, to be that person. And the other thing that be- that's mm-hmm. more than 12 hours a day of practicing, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My father, my father used to do it. And, but the other thing that I was doing was I was trying to run after him. And that's another thing about family legacy, respecting family legacy, especially as artists, but being able to create your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stopped that. In high school, I was like, I'm getting into singing. That became my aha moment. Um, when I got to college, I started writing. I started writing and that was my aha moment as, as a composer and arranger, more so of choral music. Um, I had an aha moment when I got to, um, to my master's program mm-hmm. because I thought then I said, oh, well, I'm going to be a collaborative pianist or an accompanist. So I'm going to work with singers and I'm going to coach them. I had an absolutely piss poor private lesson with a very 
popular, a famous instructor, famous collaborative pianist at, at, um, at a university that shall not be named. Wow. And I, and I canceled all of my, uh, master's auditions and I ended up somewhere else. Right. And that place became, um, so formative to me. And it was my place where I started to do more research in black sacred music because of the lack thereof at that institution. I said, well, I've got to fill the gap. Um, so that was my aha moment. This is where my love and passion is. It's something that I'd grown up in, but now I know that there has to be more scholarly representation and study of this form. That's an aha moment. Um, after I finished my master's, I had never in my mind um, thought that I was going to be a conductor, a choir conductor. I just, I was very uncomfortable with my hands. I said, all I'm going to do with this, these hands is play or write. Um, but that's when I started conducting. Another aha moment there, when, I, when I'm able to collaborate and commune with, with singers and other instrumentalists in a different way, in a different way, that's an aha moment there. Um, uh, love for musical theater, you know, being an MD for different um, shows, even with kids, you know, working with them on stuff like Shrek and um, Hairspray and Legally Blonde and all of that. You know, I'd always had a great passion for it, but being able to work in that atmosphere was another great aha moment. Oh my gosh, I, there are tons of them. And, I, and I'll say as, as, a, as an artist that hopes to continue to grow, I hope that I'll continue to keep having aha moments. Well said, well said. Hi, this is Dr. Brandon Waddles, and this is the Career Musician Podcast with my main man, Nomad. Be chill. Go behind the scenes with host Nomad to gain inside knowledge of entertainment business from the world's leading musicians, artists, producers, managers, and more. Binge previous seasons of the Career Musician Podcast and subscribe for all new episodes. When I was with Babyface, you know, as his MD for 10 years, um, mm -hmm. I was always conducting in a sense. And I was just kind of yeah. making up. And I know that the, the concept of keeping tempo, you know, the basic, uh, you know, movements there. How, how did that unravel? That was uh, probably, was it a lengthy process of really diving in or did it just mm -hmm. kind of come naturally? And then it was, you know. Mine was trial by fire in a classical setting because, now mind you, I am now conducting some of the same people that were my colleagues during my master's program. And this is no, you know, this is a, a high level music conservatory. Right. And so I, I am having to, the idea of, of great conducting, I had this conversation with one of my uh, colleagues at Wayne State, is all about communication. Hmm. And so we can, you know, talk about pattern all the time. We can talk about flow. We can talk about making sure that this is, you know, all, all there and all the, all the tech, the technical aspects of that. But if you aren't a great communicator, it, it, it means nothing. Right. I've seen people with beautiful hands that can't get a thing that they're looking for. <laughs> and I've seen people that wave their hands all up in this way and just and do like this and all of that. And they get exactly the sound that they're looking for. And part of part of the the um, the great thing that makes a, a conductor uh, um, uh, a responsive conductor and one that gets response is what they do in rehearsal. Mm. It's what they do in rehearsal. I mean, that's that's about 75 to 80 percent of the battle there is 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 communicating. And then um, 
allowing for your group, whether it be um, instrumental ensemble, whether it be chorus, whether it be a mixture of the two, making sure that there is a defined pattern of what they should look for when you're looking for certain things. You know, that kind of practice. You you all knew, you know, after a while that when I, this is what I, that's what I was going to be looking for because I had to be very direct and I had to be stayed and consistent, consistent. about what, what one thing means. What one thing means. I looked at the, um, at the show and there is a moment in one of the songs that was clearly not rehearsed and we had skipped over a part, but I got the message from the artist. I conveyed the message to this group and with, and nobody from the show would have been able to tell the difference. Right. Seems and like. that, and that is part of effective communication. You know, you can be, uh, you can be near a piss poor technician in terms of pattern and flow and all of that. But if you're able to communicate, you can get almost anything done. I, I assure you. Indeed. You know, Go ahead. Yeah, Robert Shaw, Robert Shaw, who was one of the great names in American choral music, um, was was no. Um, I, he, he used to do whatever. He used to do whatever he wanted to. But he was rigid and strict in, in his rehearsals. And they knew exactly what he was looking for when it happened. And they followed him to a T. And I mean, these are people that had studied their craft for 30 and 40 years inside the classroom. And so one of the things that I, I'm going to, because I teach conducting next semester, is not only about, you know, some of the basic techniques of pattern, but what happens when you're on a stage like we were? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you're on stage with Babyface and you're having to do, you know, that type of, you know, stage conducting. Or if I'm, what, what happens when I'm looking at a musical theater score? If I've got to conduct company versus me conducting Hamilton versus me conducting um, uh, um, uh, Phantom of the Opera, you know, I've got to be able to know how to look at that score and make sense of it versus what I'm doing if I'm if I'm directing gospel. Wow. They're not going to be looking for the same stuff. But, but these are the things that we have not validated inside the educational system. And it limits our students. So true. Greatly. This is fantastic because uh, the segue here, hybrid sections, mm -hmm. you know, conducting with hybrid ensembles. So you have uh, a contemporary band ensemble, bass, mm -hmm. drums in the, in the modern traditional sense, right? Guitar, mm -hmm. percussion, keyboards, etc. cetera. Uh, maybe some background vocalists, right? Uh, yeah. Coupled with either, you know, a chamber section or an actual orchestra, you know? I remember uh, we did a couple dates with uh, Face where we were at the uh, mm -hmm. D.C. We did the, you know, um, not the Lincoln Center in D.C. What is the big center there where they do? Oh, uh, Kennedy Center. Mm -hmm. hey, Kennedy Center. Why do I always get Kennedy and Lincoln messed up? <laughs> Kennedy Center. We, we did a couple Super shows business. there. We had, you know, an 80-piece mm -hmm. orchestra with an eight-piece band. And the oh. conductor, Tim Davies, fantastic conductor, by the way, mm -hmm. just nailed it. Um, right. So let's talk about that and the techniques involved, because you have a band that's on click, mm -hmm. an orchestra that's not on click, a conductor that has the click in, his, in, in their ear, but then is also breathing with that orchestra, right? Mm -hmm. Guiding that orchestra, you know, and then singers, and boy, and then also track, because the click is... So all mm -hmm. those elements... So all, all of that, a lot of that is based on the conversation that you have with your conductor, the orchestral conductor beforehand, 
my very first uh, gig with Let It See was with the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. And so I had to have a number of conversations with him going through the score. This is where we start. This is where you come in. Um, this is this is where some of the rubato, you know, some of the freeform feel. You know, that's where your terminology has to, you have to be a multi-coded, multilingual uh, 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 person, artist in that experience. Um, when I'm doing a, a symphony set with her, um, I'm having to make sure I'm, I'm at the piano and I've got the conductor there and they're conducting the orchestra. I am keeping uh, connection with my band. I'm also con keeping connection with my BGVs. I'm also, I have to be that liaison for, for Lettucey because yep. all she wants to do is look back at me and I said, here we are. This is where you start. That's right. So she's not, she's not thinking about measure 15. She doesn't have a score in front of her. This is not a, this is not a concert reading. This is not the Messiah. This no, ain't that. Should be, she shouldn't be concerned with that. Mm -hmm. right, right. No, it's not her job to be. That's right. It's not her job to be. That's, that's my job. I, I, am, I am all things to her, all things to the conductor, and all things to my band and singers. Right, right. And, and, and that's important. But that also, I mean, I've got two hands that are working there. I, that doesn't demand me, you know, um, uh, making sure that my pattern is all there. All I need to do is cop here and say, right here. Right. Right there. And they know. Love it. You know, and so it, that's demanded of you. But I think the same thing happens. I think of a more um, classified experience. Leonard Bernstein's mass, which calls for a large choir. You have a children's chorus. You have um, a contemporary band and then you have a full orchestra. Mm. Bernstein was Bernstein is one of my favorites. Oh, my God. Really? But this is this. But this is um, a mass setting, you know, um, but it's unlike any other. And it uses rock forms. It uses musical theater forms. It uses more, more classically choral and orchestral forms. Um, but that conductor has to be able to get to everybody and speak in their language. Uh, amazing. Now, 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 taking that and drawing the parallel, when your works, your compositions are performed mm -hmm. by, you know, such prestigious uh, uh, symphonies or, or schools, uh, singers, groups of singers and whatnot, uh, you have Morehouse, University of Michigan, Oakwood, Aeolians, Westminster Choir, Birmingham, uh, 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 what is it, Brightham Young University? Oh, Brigham, Brigham Young. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, and the Slovenian Philharmonic Choir. What's it like when you have a composition of yours being performed? How does that, that's got to be a great feeling. And Oh, man, I tell you, it is, I, I, I am humbled every time. Um, you know, I had Lord, probably a couple of my grandparents that used to always inform me, nobody has to do anything nice for you. Right. And so in that way, you know, you just, you, you know, it's, it's such a grateful experience for me. It's a very humbling experience, too. Um, I am always thrilled to or intrigued, I should say, to hear different people's interpretations of what I've written. Because there are things that sometimes I wasn't thinking about when I wrote it or arranged it that they bring out of the music. Right. Um, in my scores, I don't use a lot of dynamics or anything of that nature. So the, the louds and softs uh, for, 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 for more late purposes. I don't put a lot of that in there because conductors that I trust will bring their own interpretation. It's about human connection. Um, when I talk about the spiritual, I have a different connection to a, um, there's a balm in Gilead to heal the sin sick souls than, than one of my other colleagues might have, um, to it, you know? So I, and then that's in all forms of music, all forms of music. 
you know, I, I tell the people all the time, you know, um, there's a different connection that I might have to Shubel's um, Vinterreise uh, um, than, than another person might have. Or the same thing with WC or the same way that I approach Prokofiev or Tchaikovsky or the same way that I approach Andre Crouch or Richard Smallwood or Walter Hawkins or Thomas Whitfield. It's all about human connection. And so what I encourage when people approach my music is to find your human connection to that text Mm. into that melody that's crucial because it's storyline it is i love how you connected that with the human context but also mm-hmm. how you're naming schubert and debussy in the same breath as crouch and whitfield and so oh yeah it's, it's all legitimately uh, worthy of mm-hmm. you know praise <laughs> by us musicians because Let's face it, part of my French, that shit is amazing. It's all amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> all of it. And all of it has its place. Bach was a jazzer. You can't oh, tell me yeah. anything yeah. other than that. And I listen to him and I, I think of I think of what he might be creating today, inspired by, you know, black musicians. And I, I think about what maybe um a crouch or a small would have would have been doing back then during the Baroque era. Um and mind you, this is something interesting to think about. If we had been given, if black musicians had been given the opportunity to create on that level back then, what what we would have been hearing? What works would be available to us now? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So true. So yeah. I've had the distinct pleasure of working with uh, Andre Crouch once. Uh, it, it was uh, I want to say it was in Portland, Oregon. Anyway. What an experience mm-hmm. that was. And yeah. I worked with Smallwood several times, Richard Smallwood, se- several mm-hmm. times with uh, Yolanda Adams. I was in her band. Oh, yeah. So Absolutely. Being yeah. in, those, in those situations on stage with such musical giants, you learn so much. And boy, it's, it's invaluable, isn't it? When you get this. It's a very invaluable experience. And, and let me tell you, one of the best things that any of us can do as artists and creatives is listen. Ah. If we spent more time listening than we did playing and putting on, <laughs> oh my goodness. Wait, you Not only how much more we would learn, but how much more we'd create. Oh. I, just, I just, we could say it a million times and I still feel it wouldn't be heard enough. I always say, Eyes and ears, wide open, mouth shut. Come on, bro. <laughs> mm-hmm. Please, 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 please. There's so much beauty. I think my Anjou talked about it. There's so much beauty in the rest in music. If anybody, if you all can, you know, go check out that PBS special and and um, and listen to what what happens in the midst of Numakitapa uh, and Wild is the Wind. You know, that's probably the most. I, for me, it's the most beautiful set. Because there's so much beauty in the space that happens in the in the lonely notes, as I like to call them, the lonely notes. Um, and 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 you'll see Lettucey just has to get she has to compose herself afterwards because of the experience that we had together making that music. That's one lesson that she told me about. One of the many lessons is to not be worried about what's what's all going out there. You need to be concerned about what we're creating together in that moment. In that moment. So true. Which is which is why Layla Hathaway is always cussing y'all folk out because y'all don't put up your phones. Because it's because you got to stay. <laughs> you got to stay here with me. It's, by the time you've taken your phone out, it's gone. You lost it. You've lost it because it is fleeting. The here and now is fleeting constantly. So you better absorb it as much as you can. Mm-hmm. 
by the time you put that rip and run on everything and three times over, you've missed the moment for something even more um, overwhelmingly beautiful and, and meaningful. So true. Man. Yeah. So true. Mm -hmm. Brandon, you've shared so many little pearls of wisdom and so much knowledge and, 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 and how you actually not only uh, curated all of this knowledge and wisdom, but how you apply it on a daily basis. Do you have any kind of uh, thoughts, closing thoughts that would, you know, a, words of wisdom to the young aspiring musician, wherever they may be, that, that wants to do what you do? Yeah. Listen to everything. Love everything. You know, I, I, I just, I, I encourage everybody to just, especially those that are aspiring to, to just be able to listen and open yourself up to everything and, and continue to be you. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how invaluable that is, you know, as we grow older to continue. What does Miles say? He said, said, man, it took me a long time to learn how to play like myself. Wow. And I am continually searching searching, searching for, for me in the music that I create, for me in the music that I create. Um, and it's even more beautiful experience when, you, when you're looking for like, oh my gosh, where's the us in this? Where do we fit? And you can tell when that, when what we call the pocket, when everybody's fitting into the pocket or what, what, um, what Robert Shaw would refer to as, as singing into the sleeve of the sound singing into the sleeve of the sound. Um, I, I, I just encourage you to be you, to find you in a little bit of everything because it's all out there and it's beautiful. And, it, and, it, and it, it doesn't hurt you to just search and explore. I promise you. I promise you. And, you know, I, I found so much beauty in the failures, the supposed failures. And really, if not, I've not failed in anything because I found so much better in what, in what it led me to and led me away from. I love that. I found so much beauty in the supposed failures because I was just going to ask you how you mm -hmm. define success. And that leads oh, yeah. perfectly into that. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah. You know, success is what you make it for yourself. I, I am utterly. I look at the beauty of an artist like Lisa Fisher, oh. who has been all over this world and continues to just be an incredible light just because she is always here. Mm. She's all, she's, she's loving on herself. That's success. <sighs> when you, when you can, when you can, at the end of the day, say, love on yourself, say there's another day yet to come. I've made it here. And when I gave my all to my music or my art, whatever, I, you're not going to please everybody. Don't even look for it. Don't, 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 look for, don't look for validation from everybody. It's just not going to happen that way. But I promise you, if you just give all of yourself to your art and be human in it, there's, there's going to be somebody you've touched. You may never meet them, but that's all you need. That's success. Man, well said, my brother. Well said. Thank you, you man. I, I'm grateful. Thank you. Man, hey, before we close this out, you ready for some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. <laughs> Eric G, you ready? You got your finger on the timer here? Yep, you got, okay, you got one minute. You got one minute. We're going to time it for real. Yeah. Let's go, let's go. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we got to move fast, and I'll do my best at delivering the questions quickly. All right, ready? Yes, sir, you ready? On your mark. Get set, go. 
Dream collab, dead or alive? Oh my gosh. Um, me and Thomas Woodfield. Yeah. Last movie you saw in the theater? Jesus, um, it was a scary movie at a drive-in. I'm sorry, keep going. <laughs> pleasure food. Oh, steaks. Yeah. Introvert, extrovert. Introverted, extrovert. Introverted, extrovert. I like that. Hidden talents. <laughs> um, I'm a good cook. I don't care what they say. <laughs> I like a favorite decade of music. Probably 80s. Favorite city. Detroit, all day. Acoustic or electric? Acoustic. Song or band that changed your life? Ten. Song or band that changed my life? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah! One. Uh, the Beatles. The Beatles. Ah! <laughs> right. Beautiful, man. We, we, we made it right on the mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's some Woo! Cool. Hey, listen, where can people find you and your works? I am at www.brandonwaddles.com. Be simple enough to find. So that is where um, bio, any way that you want to connect with me, my music for um, for purchase. Um, you'll have links to the various sites where my stuff is, and um, info about my research, and also different events um, that'll be coming up. As Excellent. soon as we get out of the house. <laughs> if I might tease this, you and I talked about your research and the project that you're mm -hmm. developing. And yeah. I strongly implored you to like, bro, keep going. This needs to be released. I always felt like there was never a proper method, uh, educational method of mm -hmm. how to play gospel music. Yeah. And I think there yeah. needs to be one. Absolutely. That's your project. I know your project goes well beyond that, but I think maybe as an extension or something, somebody needs to create something. I, I would. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we are just now looking into, you know, more um, uh, educational systems, looking into how to teach gospel effectively right. um, and, and, putting, and putting a bit of a scholarly stamp on it, but still remaining true to the essence of it. So, yeah. So we're on it, man. That's us. That's us. Let's I, do it. <laughs> I can't wait. All right, brother. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Take care. All right.